We turn in God's holy word tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. I'm preaching through this chapter in Edgerton right now. And last week I did the text that we have for tonight, verses 11 through 14. Verses 11 through 14. Paul here is writing to the young pastor Timothy, who is pastor in the church at Ephesus. Pastor in the church at Ephesus, and he gives Timothy instruction here concerning how to lead that church. This is the word of God. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works." Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So far do we read God's holy word. The text again is verses 11 through 14. I'll reread that. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. In this text, Paul continues to teach women about proper behavior in the church. That is Paul's focus in this book of 1 Timothy. He is giving instruction to the young pastor Timothy about how he is to behave in the church and about how, the, how he is to lead the people to behave in the church. He says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, that the purpose of his writing to Timothy here is so that he may know, this is again 1 Timothy 3, 15, he's writing, so Timothy may know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So Paul is showing Timothy how to conduct himself in the church and specifically in the worship service. And he's going to use Timothy to lead all the people to conduct themselves properly in the worship service. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 9 through 10, Paul instructs the women concerning their dress at the worship service. They are not to dress as the women of the world, which is a showy dress that really stems from pride. But instead, verses 9 and 10 teach that women are to dress modestly and be spiritually adorned with good works. So dress physically with modesty and have a spiritual adornment or spiritual clothing of good works. Verse 10. 
Well, in verses 11 through 14, Paul continues his instruction for how women are to act in the church and especially in the worship service of the church. He teaches that women are to learn in quietness, that is, with silence and in subjection. They're not to exercise authority, they're not to teach. That's verses 11 and 12, and then in verses 13 and 14, Paul gives the reasons why not, and he points back to the creation of Adam and Eve and also to the woman being deceived in the garden. This passage, the text tonight, helps us understand helps us understand Scripture's position on, on a controversy that is really alive in the Reformed churches, but even broader than that, it's alive in many churches today. And it's the it's controversy of women in office. It's important that we understand that issue very clearly today because many denominations, even Reformed churches, allow women to vote at congregational meetings, like the congregational meeting you're going to have in a couple days. And some Reformed churches today even allow women to hold office in the church. And they have for many years. Our church doesn't allow that, and, and maybe you've been asked by others about this, or maybe you've even had questions, you probably had questions in your own mind before. Why can't, why exactly can't a woman hold office in the church? Aren't some women more gifted than, than the men that do hold office? And why can't women vote at congregational meetings? Women need a say too, especially if a woman is single. How can she get her voice heard in the church? So today we hear what Scripture says about this, and that's the most important thing. It's not so much what the neighbor says or what anybody else says. What matters is what, what God says. And may he work in us to submit to that word, submit to that word about women in office and about women's position in the church. May we see that his way is good. He's a wise God. But keep two facts in mind before we proceed any farther. Those two facts are this. First, Paul is writing here to women that profess godliness. So that's verse 10. So he's writing to women that have salvation just like men do. Believing men and believing women have the same spirit, applying to them the same wonderful blessings of salvation, blessings like forgiveness and strength to serve the Lord, same blessings that Christ earned for them at the cross. Both men and women have them. And having the Holy Spirit, men and women share equally in the office of all believers. Prophets, priests, and kings. Men and women are equal as far as salvation is concerned, and that is a wonderful thing. For That's what brings to us great joy in this life. It's not really the station and calling necessarily, but ultimately salvation in Jesus Christ that we have been given. What joy that is. So that first, both men and women have salvation. And second, keep in mind that what Paul writes here is not just his opinion. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing as an apostle, he says. The word apostle means sent. He's writing as one sent by Christ. What he writes is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit according to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Paul even bases his instruction here on the very creation of Adam and Eve. So what he writes isn't just based on his culture, his background, or, or merely what was appropriate for his society. No, what he writes is based on the order that God made at creation. He brings us God's word here. 
May we submit to it by His great grace. His word is good. Let's consider the text under the theme, Women Called to Learn in Quietness. Women Called to Learn in Quietness. First, what? Second, why? And third, how? What, why, how? First, what? Women are called to learn in quietness. What exactly is the command here? Paul forbids women to do two things in the text. Forbids two things. First, women are not permitted to exercise authority in the church. The first half of verse 12 says, I I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. Authority is the right to rule. So one who has authority has the right to make the laws or make the rules for those who are under them. One who has authority has the right to punish those who disobey. One who has authority has the right to lead with the laws that he makes and the directions that he gives. Now, authority is a gift of God through the exalted Christ. So the ultimate authority is God because he's the creator, ruler of all. After Christ died, arose, and ascended into heaven, God gave Christ authority. So Christ said right before he ascended, he said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that word power in the King James Version there means authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that shows us that any authority that there is on this earth comes from God through Christ. It's given by Christ. The woman is not to usurp authority over the man according to verse 12. And that means she may not exercise authority over the man. And specifically, again, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul is talking about the church. So he's saying a woman may not exercise authority over the man in the church. She may not lead the worship services or direct them or any part of it. She may not take the lead. She may not exercise authority over the man in the church. Second, Paul says in verse 12 that a woman may not teach in the church. I suffer not a woman to teach, he says. Again, understand he's talking about teaching in the church. He's not saying that a woman may not teach anywhere. Women must teach. They must teach in the home, instructing their children in the fear of the Lord. Women may take the place of parents in our Christian schools and teach there these children. They must teach daily by witnessing in their life. They may teach in Sunday school. They may may make comments at Bible study and in a sense teach that way. But women may not teach in the worship services of the church. Paul forbids women to teach because teaching in the church assumes a position of authority. It assumes a certain authority. Matthew 10, verse 24 shows that. It says, The disciple is not above his master. The disciple is not above his master. And that word master is literally teacher. The disciple is not above his teacher. The learner is not above the one who teaches him. The teacher is above. So teaching in catechism, teaching in the preaching, that involves authority. Teaching in church is exercising authority because it's not merely imparting information, not merely giving facts, but it's setting forth knowledge, setting forth knowledge about God and everlasting life in Jesus Christ. It's setting forth knowledge as the truth. And that teaching that's done in the church, it it always implies a command 
follow this, obey this, order your life according to this instruction. And because authority is included in teaching, women are not allowed to teach in the church, specifically in the worship service. So that's the negative. That's the negative. But the positive is also given in the text. Verse 11 gives the positive calling. It says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. So women must learn. And Paul's calling women to learn in the context of the church, the worship service. So he's saying, women, learn, grow in knowledge through the preaching at church. Women are to learn from God's word. Now when one learns, what one does is He's taking what is communicated to heart. To learn is to take what is communicated to heart and then to follow it. So you think of what, what you've learned in this life or you think about learning in church. That involves taking what's communicated to heart and following it. That's learning. Scripture says that women are to learn in silence. What does that mean? Learn in silence. Well, we should look at the way that term silence is used in Scripture to understand that. First, silence implies a respectful submission. A respectful submission. Habakkuk 2 verse 20 says, But the Lord is in His holy temple... Let all the earth keep silence before him. So part of the idea of silence is that you're quiet and have a respect for the speaker. Quiet with a respect towards the speaker. Second, silence implies a willingness and readiness to listen. Acts 22 verse 2 says, When they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. In that context, that means they were ready to listen. That's what it means to be silent. You're, you have this respect towards the speaker and you sit ready and willing to listen. And third, Silence is a resting quietly and waiting patiently to be led. Not leading yourself, but a resting quietly and waiting patiently to be led. Luke 23, verse 56 says, They returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And the word rested in that text, it means really is the same word as the word in our text for silent. These women, they, this is talking about the women preparing the spices to go and anoint Jesus' body on the first day of the week. Well, those women on Saturday, right before that Sunday, they waited in silence. That means they weren't jumping ahead. They weren't pushing forward. The idea is being that they rested, waiting patiently for the next day to come. So that helps you understand silence. It's the opposite of exercising authority. It's opposite of arguing, opposite of giving orders, promoting your own view. No, it's waiting patiently to be led. Putting all that together, learning in silence is a respect towards the speaker, a readiness to listen, and a waiting patiently to be led. Women are to learn in silence, and then the text adds this. The apostle writes, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Subjection is an attitude of humility. It's really, it's willingly putting yourself below. Willingly putting yourself an, under another and their instruction. So you recognize someone's authority and you put yourself 
under them. You say, this is the word for me. And you acknowledge that word as something to be followed. I put myself under it, ready to follow it. That's how women are to learn. With all subjection, putting themselves under the speaker and what is being spoken. What do these commands mean practically? Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. and Do not exercise authority or teach in the church. What do those commands mean practically? Well, verses 11 and 12 show that women are not to be office bearers in the church. That's the word here. All the offices in the church, so elder, minister, deacon, all those offices have authority in the church. An elder obviously does. An elder rules in the church. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. 1 Peter 5 verse 2 says that the elders must feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. So elders obviously rule, and in their rule they exercise oversight over the sheep. They watch over them. How? Well, they bring the word to those who are in need, in need of a word of comfort. They're watching, they see that, and they bring the word to them. And they watch over the preaching that's done right now and each Sunday. Watch over the administration of the sacraments and over the catechism teaching. And that way, they're ruling over the church and making sure that all is done according to God's word. They bring loving discipline to those who are walking in the wrong way. Those are, that's part of their rule of the church. It's not just the elder who has authority in the church, but the minister also exercises authority. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 talks about the elder who especially labors in word and doctrine. And that's referring to the minister. He teaches and he helps rule in the church as an elder. Elders have authority in the church. Minister has authority in the church. And the deacons too have authority. In the Old Testament, God ruled His church through prophets, priests, and kings. And in the New Testament, Christ, the ascended Lord, rules the church through minister, the minister, elders, and deacons. Deacons have been given authority. They have a position of authority from Christ. And that's why a requirement of the deacons, which is also a requirement for the elders, is that they rule well their own household. 1 Timothy 3 says that's what a requirement for deacons. They must be ruling their own household well. Well, that's a requirement for deacons because they, are, they must be able to share in the rule of the church. Because elders, ministers, and deacons have authority in the church, they have a right to speak the word of God in the church authoritatively. The minister preaches and teaches the word authoritatively in the worship service. Elders authoritatively bring the word when they go visit one in need in the church, maybe one walking in sin. The deacons, they don't simply pass out money to people. When they go to a family to give money and help them that way, physically, they also bring the word to show that this physical help comes from God through the church. So they read a passage that shows God's the provider. Maybe when someone's not using their money in a right or proper way, the, the deacons are showing them or giving them advice from the Word on how to use 
their money properly and be good stewards. So elders, ministers, and deacons have authority in the church and thus teach officially in the church. And that all helps you see then why women may not be office bearers in the church according to this text. They may not be elders that rule and exercise authority. They may not be ministers that teach in the worship service and exercise authority. Verse 12, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. And women may not be deacons either who have a position of authority in the church. Other aspects of congregational life are affected too by what the apostle says in verses 11 and 12. Because women are not to exercise authority in the church, they are not to vote at congregational meetings. The congregational meeting is an extension of the consistory and thus a governing body. The consistory sets the agenda. The consistory sets the agenda and only the matters they put on the agenda are discussed and voted upon at a congregational meeting. So they vote on office bearers, discuss and vote upon the budget, the pastor's salary, a building project, all of which are consistory matters. And since the congregational meeting is an extension of the consistory meeting, that congregational meeting is a governing body and it has authority. The calling of office bearers, for instance, that's done at a consistory congregational meeting, that is an authoritative work done by those who rule in the church. So only men may vote at a congregational meeting. The one who even casts a vote, if you think about it, close, look at it closely, the one who even casts a vote is exercising authority in some sense. They're voting on behalf of the church. They're deciding for the church. And thus only male confessing members vote. So that's the first matter regarding these other effects upon congregational life from this text. Second, from this text we see that a woman may not come up to lead even part of a worship service. That has to be talked about because in some churches today a woman might come up and lead part of the service, maybe pray. But that's not in harmony with learning in silence and and, and not exercising authority like this text says must happen. Now that all can be difficult. We've gone through a lot of things that women may not do in church. And that can be hard because women love the church. Women love the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. They want to help. And women we know that go to other churches, they might even say, what, you can't even vote at a congregational meeting? What in the world? You can't, you can't be an elder, you can't be even a deacon? Why not? And it can be especially hard when men, and this can happen at times in the history of, has happened at times in the history of the church and can still happen, that the men in a church are not very spiritually minded and the women are very gifted. But even then, we must follow the word. We must submit to this. This is God's word. Women must learn in silence. Now why? Why must women learn in quietness? We've seen the what, now the why. The why is that this is God's will for women in the church. It's God's will for women in the church. Paul doesn't give the command that he does in this text because women are inferior to men. He doesn't give the command because he thinks that women 
they'll, they'll cave under the pressures of these jobs, of these callings. Or that women, they're second class. Or it's not either that Paul just doesn't like women. It's not the case. And it's not either because women don't have gifts. They certainly have gifts, excellent gifts. They're gifted at learning. They're gifted at teaching in the home, especially the younger children. They're tender-hearted and able to connect with those children so well and show them the truths of God's Word from a young age. They're gifted listeners to those that are facing trials in the church and good at recognizing when someone needs help. Usually, much quicker than men, they can tell. This person, that family, that widow, they need this or that. Women have many gifts. Gifted in many things men aren't gifted in as well. We must be careful not to deny that believing women are connected to Christ and have the office of all believers. And act like they don't have things to contribute at Bible study. Don't value what they say at Bible study. We have to be careful not to do that. It's not the case here that this text shows that a woman can't vote on what is going to be studied next in Bible study. Sometimes that has been done in history, but this text isn't saying that. This text is talking about women in the worship service not being allowed to exercise rule or teach. But women certainly have have gifts, excellent gifts in the church. But women must learn in silence and subjection in the worship services and not be office bearers because it's God's will for them. The Apostle Paul is simply giving us God's will, that is, what God is pleased for women to do. Remember, he's speaking as an apostle. Chapter 1, verse 1. One sent by Christ. Remember, what he brings here is the word of God, according to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. This is by the inspiration of the Spirit. He's giving us God's will in the text. The calling of the believing woman is not to be an office bearer, but to learn in quietness. For Paul to say something different would be to contradict God's will. And that would bring trouble, big trouble. The will of God for a fish is that a fish live in water and not out of water. If they try to live out of water, they would be trying to do something that God is not pleased for them to do. That brings trouble. God wasn't pleased to make them creatures that live out of water. So if they try to do that, there's trouble. So too must women follow God's will for them. God has a high calling for women, a very high calling. As verse 10 shows us there to be adorned with good works. And scripture shows us what those good works are that women are called to do, the important calling they have. Go back right to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. A woman is called to be a helpmeet to her husband a fit supporter for him. A woman is called to nurture her children, teaching them in the fear of the Lord. Verse 15 alludes to that, how a woman is saved in childbearing. A woman is called to do works of service in the church like Tabitha did according to the book of Acts. A woman that was making many garments and much clothing and did much work in the help of the widows in her church. A woman has a great ability to do many acts of service in the church. If a believing woman forsakes the office that God has given them in the Word and does what is not God's will for her, it brings trouble. She won't have peace in that way. There will be trouble in the church too. God reveals his will in the text. And the proofs that Paul gives confirm that this is God's will. 
that this is God's will for women. Verse 13, we find the first proof that what Paul is saying is God's will for women. Verse 13, Paul points to the creation of Adam and Eve. Verses 11 and 12 say, let the women learn in silence. Verse 12, I suffer not a woman to teach or exercise authority. Then verse 13 begins with the conjunction for, and that means because. Because Adam, he says, because Adam was first formed and then Eve. First there is actually an adjective in the original language and not an adverb. That means that the word first there describes Adam. The word first does not describe formed. So that verse, translated literally, could say, Adam was formed to be the first. For Adam was formed to be the first. He was formed to be the leader. He was formed to be the ruler of the creation. That Adam was created to be the leader and rule is shown by the order of God's work of creation. He was first formed and then Eve. Adam was created to be the head and, and rule and then Eve was created to assist him in that care of the creation. That Adam was formed first shows that he's the leader, he has authority in the relationship. And Genesis chapter 2 shows that too when you read it, that Adam was given the authority in the relationship for he even named Eve. That's an authoritative act. He named Eve. And then Genesis 2 goes on to talk about how a man is the one that takes the initiative in leaving father and mother and starting a new family. So Adam had authority in the relationship with Eve. And that truth shows that men ruling and leading is a creation ordinance. Men ruling and leading is a creation ordinance. Now a creation ordinance is a law of God that is based on his work of creation. Because of the way God ordered something at creation... This is the way it must be done throughout all history until the end of time. So because God ordered things so that Adam led and Eve, Eve was under him, because God ordered things that way at the beginning, that's how it is to be till the end of time. Man is to lead until the end. That's the way it's to be. And that's universal in scope. A woman is not to have authority over the man in the church anywhere in the world because this is a creation ordinance. It's something that applies to God's creation. His people all over the earth. And the principle of the man having authority over the woman is broader than just the church too. Yes, Paul is first of all speaking about the church here and behavior in the church. Man is to have authority over the woman in the church. But men are to have authority and lead in the different spheres of life too, including in the home. That's what this creation ordinance indicates. In verse 14, Paul adds another proof that what he is saying is God's will for the woman. He points to the woman being deceived in the garden. We read, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Paul is not saying that Eve's fall into sin shows that women are more likely to bring trouble into the church by falling into sin. They'd make bad decisions. Well, that can't be because Adam, he sinned too. So women are not more prone to sin than men. And Paul is also not saying here that Adam wasn't deceived at all. 
we know that Adam was deceived also. But he wasn't deceived in the same way that Eve was. That's the point of the verse. He wasn't deceived in the same way Eve was. You see, Eve took the lead in the fall by foolishly exercising authority. According to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, when God created Adam, He gave Adam, He gave the man, the command concerning the two trees, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. He gave Adam that command as the one who was the head, the ruler, the leader in the home. When the serpent came to Eve and started challenging then what God said about the trees, Eve should have talked to her husband, her head, but she didn't. She chose to take the lead. She, she chose to take the lead and then she led Adam to fall. Her taking the lead and making this significant decision to eat without Adam was a huge part of the fall. And as a consequence for her, her foolishly exercising her own authority, the woman may not exercise authority in the church. She must not teach or take authority over the man in the church. Now we get those reasons. But how is a woman... In the church, how can she obey that command? To learn in silence. To be submissive and not exercise authority or teach. That's hard and that's, that's something that a woman will not obey in her own strength. The world and even the church world today pressure women to do the opposite of learning in silence with all subjection. They say, really, that, that's a, a bad way. You're smart too. You don't have to, to do that. You should be a leader, all you know. And our sinful nature goes right along with what the world says. Our sinful nature opposes learning in silence and submission. Our sinful nature says... I want to do what I feel like doing. I don't want to listen to that. And at the same time as the world has these ideas and we have a sinful nature that agrees with it, at the same time we see the shortcomings of men that are holding office. We see that they don't do everything exactly right. They don't always teach exactly right. They don't always make the right decisions. And we often, we often do have good ideas and, and they should listen to us. That can be the thought. And that makes it difficult to learn in silence and submit to the leaders that we have. To submit to what they teach. And take it to heart. Women will only learn in silence and in subjection by the power of Jesus Christ. That's the only power by which they do so. Jesus Christ. Verse 10 points us to that. Verse 10 shows us that Paul is addressing women professing godliness here in 1 Timothy 2. He's addressing women professing godliness. He says that ladies must wear that which becometh women professing godliness. A woman professing godliness is a woman that announces with her words and with her life that she fears the Lord. She confesses Christ's greatness. And a woman that professes, Christ, that, a woman that professes godliness with her words and life, the kind of woman Paul's speaking of here, that's a woman that's been bought by Christ. Christ died for her. 
Without Christ's death for her, she would be a guilty sinner in God's sight. And guilty sinners in God's sight have to be left dead in sin, in the prison to sin. She would never profess godliness. But because Christ died for her, she is righteous before God. And thus has been freed from the prison to sin and death. She has spiritual life. She's been changed. She professes godliness. Christ's death for her and his work in her make all the difference between her and a woman of the world. All the difference is Christ's death for her and his work then in her. Well, by Christ's power, a woman in the church professes godliness and lives in submission to God's word and says this is the good way. Christ's spirit works in her to put on the mind of Christ as Philippians 2 speaks of. We're familiar with Philippians 2. Talks about putting on the mind of Christ and then describes that mind of Christ. Verses 6 and 7 say that though being in the form of God, he made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant. Why did he do that? Because he was submitting to his Father's will. He was submitting himself to his Father's will, saying, he knows best. Now by Christ's power, the believing woman follows Christ, living in submission to God's will. Christ, that same one who perfectly submitted to God's will all the way to the cross, he lives in that woman professing godliness. And he works in her to say, I submit to God's will. I don't want even to lead and rule in the church I want to learn in silence and subjection. I want to adorn myself with good works, the good works that God's Word describes for the woman specifically to do. I want to be a helpmeet to my husband. I want to be a servant in the church as Tabitha was, doing good works, being that listening ear, the hands and feet of Christ as it were. I want to be one who nourishes her children in the fear of the Lord. That's the kind of work I want to do. And I see that as important work, blessed work. And that's the attitude that you women here have and have only by Christ's power in you. You women here, believing women, have also been bought by Christ. And that's why you believe. Praise God for that. Christ's death for you and his work in you makes all the difference. He brings you to recognize that you are created differently than the man, and God is wise. He knows what is best for his church. His spirit brings you to see the many good and important works that you have to do as a female in the church. Many works that men cannot do or certainly cannot do as well. His Spirit brings you to adorn yourself with good works because of Christ, power of the cross. Having Christ powerfully work in you to submit to God's will concerning women, you will experience wonderful blessings. We'll look at two of those in conclusion. First, Submitting to God's word, by God's power, submitting to God's word, you will grow in knowledge of the word and in knowledge of Christ. Think of it. Submitting to God's word, you will see that your important work on Sunday is to learn in silence with all subjection. As you do so, you will grow in knowledge of Christ. You will see more and more how great your Savior is through the preaching that you're learning from on the Sabbath. You will grow in a desire to obey the Lord in thankfulness. And as you grow in grace, sitting under that preaching, learning in silence with all subjection, 
you will say, I, I haven't been cheated out of anything. This is a wonderful position to have on Sunday, to sit here in God's house and learn, learn of Christ. You will grow, grow in knowledge. Second wonderful blessing is that by the power of Christ, as you submit to the word, you will grow in a desire to submit more and more and learn more and more in silence and subjection. You will grow in a desire to learn in silence and subjection. What you maybe didn't like as a child or teen, you will come to understand and appreciate as you sit under the Word. You will say, this God that sent Christ for me, He certainly knows what's best for me. And I see that. It's good for me to learn in subjection. For then I go and I teach my children about Jesus Christ. I teach them about His ways and following Him in thankfulness. And God uses that for good in the church for generations to come so that my children teach their children and on down the line. It's good for me to have this position in the church of doing loving works in the service of others as Tabitha did. And it's good for me to have this position as a, a wife, maybe. Helping my husband to the best of my ability. This is good for me spiritually. This is good for the church and for the future of the church. By the power of Christ, that is what you will be brought to see more and more as you learn in silence with all subjection. So thank God that he so powerfully works in us to see who He is and to see His wisdom. What a wonderful God He is. He's very, very wise. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, Lord, we come before Thee thankful for the women here and for their place in this congregation and in the worship service and in our homes. Lord, bless them. And may we all... Help them, too, in seeing the importance of this calling also and encourage them in it. O oh Lord, we pray that Thou wilt forgive our many sins, forgive all those times where we do not submit to Thy word as we ought and turn us unto Thee. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.